Welcome to another episode of Don't Sell Yourself Short. I'm Simon Lunt from Silent Sales and for those of you who are expecting an episode with Sue Cook, I'm afraid she pulled out, so if you'd like to tune out now, then please do. Unbelievable. Mel McKenzie, unlike Sue Cook and some Catholics, didn't pull out and we had what I describe as the best sales and marketing chat I've had in eight years as we debated whether sales and marketing should still be joined at the hip, is some management data essentially vanity metrics, and what is the best thing? The time is irrelevant, pray silence please, as I say good day to Mrs. McKenzie. Hi Mel, thanks for joining me. Hi Simon, how are you doing? I'm okay, thanks. Um, it's probably a little bit colder here than it is there. I would think so. It's, I think it's about 24 at the moment and it's what, 6.30 in the evening. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty warm. Most of the listeners will, um, will hate hey, you for that now. Yeah, thank you. That's not the, a good start. Scratch that, scratch that. <laughs> got the rest of the, rest of the episode to win them over. <laughs> I'll try, okay. <laughs> um, I ask everyone at the start about podcasts. Um, maybe I'm a little bit obsessed with them. Um, I... Um, I listen to a massive variation myself um, yeah. from anything from philosophy to make myself feel um, intelligent uh, through to complete rubbish like Atletico Mints just to sort of relax. Uh, what sort of stuff do you listen to, if any, or is this a relatively new thing for you? Yeah, I must say, I'll be honest, I was quite late to the podcast party, to be honest. And I know it is like a massive medium in marketing to use. Um, but I just find that Although I'm a woman, I can actually multitask. And if I've got a podcast on, I can't do anything else. I have to devote my entire attention to the podcast. Um, so, which then takes up a lot more time. Um, but when I do, um, I'd say for leisure, uh, I love Shagged, Married, Annoyed with Rosie and Chris Ramsey. Um, they're just hilarious. They talk about the Northeast. You know, they go to places where I've kind of been in my childhood as well. And just just it really especially with being over here um in australia it just really makes me think about home and uh, mm -hmm. they're just really funny i just find myself laughing out loud you know i've got my headphones on and just laughing it's just brilliant um work purposes there's a digital marketing podcast um that is uh, done by target um marketing um, sorry, Target Internet, they're called. And basically, they are a digital agency, but they're very good at kind of putting in 30-minute segments um, of updates of where digital marketing is going, what they've seen, trending-wise, um, and they just break it down really well as well. Um, the two guys that are on there just talk it through. Um, and then they always do a kind of, at the end of the year, they'll do a summary, and then what they see as well going into the future for the next year um and how they see it developing as well so that's it's always really good to kind of dip into that as well so what sort of uh putting on the spot here what sort of hot topics are sort of um rearing the head with uh with that side of things yeah well obviously there's a lot with everything that's going on at the moment with uh, the pandemic and obviously the shift that people have had to make you know businesses have had to go online if they've never maybe done that before um they've had to maybe strengthen their delivery services their um outsourcing they've really got to look at those things and the services um that they use um obviously budgets as well have had to be completely readdressed and you know the shift between um perhaps going to an exhibition which you can't do anymore can you then put that money into online advertising and seeing that kind of shift i really hate to use this word but pivot is, is used a lot um especially in the marketing terms because obviously you've got your plan and your campaigns that you were hoping to roll out and then you've got to relook at those and and really understand what's going to work for you in this in this new landscape so yeah that's been really interesting and at no point during your last sentence there was I visualising Ross trying to... With the sofa, yeah. <laughs> yeah There's actually, I don't know if you've seen it, doing the rounds where it, there's a summary of 2020 just done in Friends clips. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. Oh, my goodness, look it up. And obviously the couch with the pivot scene does appear, but it's basically them saying, you know, these statements throughout the Friends episodes, and it just does a brilliant summary of where we are at with 2020. So, yeah, look that one up. Oh, please send me a link and I'll stick it on yes, the Yes, I will. I'll find that and I'll send that to you. <laughs> that sounds good. I think you're winning people back already. People are, 
aren't a fan of friends, then they're probably uh, not going to like what. what that's it, yeah, that's it. They're <laughs> dead was anyway. Okay, right. Um, thank you for that. I have always felt, and it's well, it's probably not revolutionary. Sales and marketing. You know, you're 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 marketing through and through. I'm sales with some marketing, but they've always seemed to be viewed as joined at the hip. And, you know, you don't very often, get, you don't sort of get other functions very often joined. You don't sort of get finance and HR or, I don't know, production and, uh, well, H&S, whatever, whatever you want it, whatever you yeah. want. But sales and marketing, very much viewed as joined at the hip. Is that, is that, is that fair to say? And, you know, what are your views on that? Should they be separated or is it, are, are they essentially twins? Um, no, I'm I'm in um, agreement with yourself, Simon. That I think sales and marketing um, should be should work very closely together. I also um, think that there's maybe an element of product development that should be entwined in there as well, especially from the marketing side as well. Um, you know, marketing is the front end of this lead generation funnel, and it's always going to have to go through sales to get that end result. Um, so the more that marketing work with sales, the more that marketing understands what sales targets they've got. So they, you know, marketing's only function is not just to, to help sales. It is also, you know, you've got your brand development, um, your brand awareness, the whole business is kind of marketing's responsibility as well. But a lot of it is to keep that, that funnel full, um, of leads and, you must be aligned with sales because you can't be getting these leads in and then they're just falling off. All that work, that pre-work that you've done, you know, it, it needs to be then um, useful enough and um, in the same area that sales are working to and working towards their kind of goals as well. So absolutely need to be aligned. I'd even go as far as I know um, where I used to work sales actually got moved next to marketing and that helped me immensely you know just even overhearing conversations that the sales guys were having with their customers um you know marketing have to be very close to their audience but specific customers sales know that through and through they know their customers they speak to them on you know a weekly basis uh, almost sometimes a daily basis depending on what you're doing and if you can kind of catch some of those conversations without sales having to repeat kind of what they've said it's, it's, yeah, it's golden. And, you know, you pick up on the types of, especially if you're new into the company, perhaps, you know, you need to be spending potentially a week with sales to understand the way they talk to their customers, to understand how they talk about the products and the words that they're using. Because that all filters into your whole um, content strategies as well. You know, what you think as a marketeer, people are calling your product is not necessarily what the actual customer is is calling that as well so i do think that they're they're um they're really linked yeah it's slightly difficult i guess now um i actually work remotely so i've never done i've never worked remotely before i've always been in an office situation where i can literally just speak to sales really quickly or i've been in the same area as them so i guess it's a little bit more difficult for me but again, with the power of the internet, I can just give them a call. We have a Teams-based system where it's not actually just a phone call, like it is a video chat as well. And it's at the click of the button. I don't have to ring the office. I can, I can speak to the, the Teams that way. Um, mm. So yeah, that's kind of my responsibility to ensure that I am keeping that, that communication open with the sales teams. Okay. And do you, so you're a marketing professional, marketeer, marketer. I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to offend anyone. But, uh... <laughs> You lot, yes. <laughs> yeah, you, you lot in marketing. <clears throat> um, do, you, do you feel that there's a stereotype in in terms of what non-marketeers um, think of marketeers? And oh, is marketeers, yeah. Marketeers, too much. marketeers. I'll be like a musketeer. <laughs> yeah, all three of you. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think less so now, but definitely kind of like old school was like, oh, you're just there to make things look pretty. You're there to colour in. You're there, you know, that kind of, you always get those comments, oh, give it to marketing, they'll make it look better. And I think people miss misunderstand potentially the amount of work that actually goes into the background of producing even something like um, an online advert. You know, you've got to think about the wording that you're using, the content that's on there, the keywords, the key sentences, um, constantly having in mind who the audience is and what you want them to do with that advert. You know, what's the first 
call to action you want them to do? Is there a secondary one keeping it in with the branding? Um, and I think because a lot of marketing as well is open to interpretation and open to opinion as well, I think that's quite a difficult thing where you know that you've kind of put, up, put all the intelligence into it to make it look how it does. And then someone will be like, oh, you know, I don't like the color of that. Or could we not use this word instead? And you've kind of maybe got to validate why you've done it a little bit more so than another department, say. Um, yeah. yeah. So you get used to sort of saying things like, I hear what you're saying and I appreciate <laughs> your input. Yes, there you go. You've got to, you've got to, you've got, there's a fine line, you know, like <laughs> you've got to walk it. Professional diplomats. That's the one, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 as I say, like I like collaborative working. I think sales and marketing should should work together. Um, but I think ultimately the decision does lie with the marketing team. Um, yeah, ultimately. And I think you're right. You know, I'd want all input possible, but then you've got to kind of say, "But well, we're going to do this because." And there'll always be some, you know, reasoning behind it. Um, so, yeah, just, just like you say, be diplomatic about it. Yeah. And I think touching on something you said there about um, the way that maybe historically marketing was a little bit more fluffy in terms of the way it was measured. So sales mm -hmm. is measured on, the ver on very obvious metrics, um, whereas marketing was more sort of, well, what how many people have read the magazine article don't know really that's a bit tricky yeah. how many people have rung us from the um newspaper ad that we've done you know the more sort of um traditional marketing methods which is still still viable and, and applicable in some industries but with a more digital approach as well um you can measure the far end of a fart if farts are what you're marketing obviously it's very <laughs> nice. we both work in niche well, industries yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly exactly so um as, has the has that changed the way that uh, marketing functions behave in terms of the way that they know that they're going to be measured? I'm not suggesting that they were hiding behind um, the fact that they can't be measured easily, but has it, has it changed the way that objectives are set and the way that marketing functions work? Yeah, I mean, I actually think it's a good thing because finally we can have some benchmarking and you can see what's really working and what's not which is the whole point you know of marketing a, a lot of it a lot of the stuff that you'll start out doing you don't know whether it's going to work or not until you start seeing the data coming back in you know until you start seeing your website hits go up or the inquiries go up um yeah like google analytics is a, is a major tool is a great tool um you know you can measure right down to see the specific pages that people are visiting and where they're dropping off. Um, so in terms of measurement, I don't think it's a bad thing that we're now sort of held to numbers per se. I think when it comes to social media, it can be a little bit different because you've got things like engagement levels and impressions and you know, not necessarily the number of followers that you have represents the engagement levels that you have. So, sometimes you've got to put a little bit more explanation say if you're explaining to a board or an md about the kind of numbers that you've got there but i think it's um i think it's really really useful to have that data um i do think it does drive a, a lot of the campaigning and things but you should always i think always just caveat that with as well that data can't um tell you what someone's feeling it can't give you that emotion that people have got so the emotion behind the buying cycle um you know what their thoughts are during the journey you can see their journey and you can make an assumption that some things are working and maybe some things aren't but there's still the emotional part of it that that you just can't track so again you still might have to do that kind of trial and error um and always change things as well um and i find that fascinated about that, that part yeah i think the you have to have essentially millions of dollars to be able to to track emotion don't you i saw a you know whereas most most companies don't have that type of marketing budget and i, I know yeah. that twitter released a, a tweet believe it or not um uh, i think it was this week it might have even been yesterday saying that um i think it was the last day in may this year was the saddest day on twitter now i, I you know so i think that I, no, I'm what an algorithm told you is that how it 
Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. I don't know whether they're looking for certain words that show sadness. You know, I don't know what those, I mean, I don't dread to think I'd bring the podcast episode down if I try and start guessing those, but um, yeah. yeah. But then again, it can't sense sarcasm. So people might be using those words, but using them in a sarcastic way and Twitter can't understand that. Well, exactly. Yeah. So it's certainly going to be flawed. Yeah. I, I, it, it's, it, yeah, it fascinates me as well. I think that um, it's interesting as well. You mentioned that sometimes when you're reporting these metrics in a suite, like you said to a board or, or to, you know, senior yeah. management, that it's wherever I've worked and whoever I've worked for, a senior manager has a particular bee in their bonnet about one particular metric. Yeah. And quite often, it's website hits and it's it, they're sort of almost because an, for example an md is obviously looking after a whole company they can't be over every bit of detail of everything that's just not what an md is for i guess um micromanaging everything and understanding it all and then they will that, so that means that quite often there may be there may be one iteration of um innovation behind in some cases so marketing so they'll think that you need to get as many hits on your website as possible. And no matter what metrics you've got under that, they're going, well, the numbers are down. You know, well, yeah, but the conversions are up. Yeah, but we used to get like 10,000 hits a week. Why yeah. are we only getting eight? And that, that must be a difficult thing to manage. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I think you're right, people do get hit up on those, that number. So I know at the moment we're trying to increase our like LinkedIn followers and that that's fine. But with the new analytics, I don't know if you've seen, you can you can set your competitors and basically when you can now see who's following you. So before it would just give you a number, but now you can actually specifically see who started following your business. And if you've put your competitors in, it'll also tell you how many followers a week they've received. So you can see how many you've had in a week and how many your competitor has had in a week. And those numbers, it'd be like, well, they've had 20. We've only had 15. Why is that? And it gets really, really, I think followers is, a, is an interesting one because it is a good, it is a good number to use, definitely. But it, it's like, it's like a vanity thing, isn't it? It's a vanity metric. What does it actually mean? You know, when you drill down to it, I much prefer to see conversions because then I can say in, because a lot of the time marketers don't often have, we have budgets that we have to stick to. But that real um, sort of like sales, you have to hit your targets. We don't necessarily often have targets. We have a return on investment that we might potentially have to hit, but a target, n not really. So yeah, it's I when you can see a conversion going through to sales, that almost puts a monetary value on it for me almost. And then yeah. obviously if that gets converted into a sale. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably more for me than like they say, these vanity metrics of how many followers have you got? Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a, I was quite surprised a few years ago, I'm going to write that down, vanity metrics, I like that, that um, where I live, um, a Porsche garage opened, which is quite a surprise for in, in my area. And I'm thinking in terms of thousands of people drive past that Porsche garage every day and the majority of them will look at the, look at them and think, oh, they're nice. Yeah. But they probably sell one a month. Yeah. So if you if you sort of think of it in terms of you could have all these likes, all these people looking at your garage, but only one of them probably matters, and that's the one who's going to put their hand in the pocket and, and exactly. engage with, yeah. Yeah. with the product. So yeah, I like that van vanity metrics. I know that one one that's always been a difficult one to you might be able to enlighten me, both interpret and defend or pr promote as a as a useful KPI is bounce rate. Mm. is it good is it bad is you know is do we want it small do we want it big what depends on the page and i use i don't i don't pay much attention to it for my own metrics now because it does my head in a little bit but do you have the same sort of opinion? yeah it's difficult because obviously like you don't know what someone's thinking i think the thing is to look at in bounce rate the main thing is if it's very um and i never know it's low or high but quick <laughs> so if, if you know if your average bounce rate for that page is two seconds there's something wrong with your page people are going to it and going that's not what i wanted to find there 
that like that's not what I went to that page for and they're coming straight off it so if you're like under five seconds I suppose then there's something wrong because they're going to that page thinking it's going to tell them something or they're going to get to a certain product and that's not what it is so you have to look at the route to that page and why is it misleading and um, so yeah if it's really you, you I would look at the extremes you know if it's really low um then yeah, there's something not quite right there. And then I don't know, if people are spending a long time there, have they fallen asleep reading the page? I don't know if it's like five minutes for that and you've got like a little bit of content. But I think, yeah, I mean, assumptions, I think a lot of assumptions are made about bounce rate. To be fair, a proper digital nut might be able to tell like me more about the different ratios of time but i just know that if it's yeah if they're coming on and nipping straight off then there's something not quite right with the journey to that page because you're telling people it's something that then then they get to it and that's not what they're expecting so they, they bounce straight off i was wondered that because i'm a bit of a bugger for not turning my personal laptop off i just yeah. close it i'm used to having a chromebook so i just close it but we also have a different laptop as well. So you're and putting, pe you're putting pe people's average pages up like loads of them. <laughs> so if you want to impress your um, senior board members with good marketing, um, then I'm open to just opening your website for a fee and staying on it. <laughs> I'm sure we could come to some agreement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I did wonder whether when you've got that idle... Um, viewer who's literally just stuck on a page whether the i don't know whether algorithms people use that word a lot i don't really know what one is that um it knows that or it whether might it's not include them yeah if it's been like longer than a certain amount of time probably yeah because then your averages would be really kind of all over the place so it probably yeah probably knows knows everything don't they? well that was a new revenue stream for me but i'll yeah I'll, i'm out <laughs> with okay <laughs> um in my experience, there's two types of salespeople in terms of their view on marketing. So you've got the really enthusiastic, um, loads of ideas, wants to be engaged and is, is all over marketing. And then you've got the whatever type of salesperson who yeah. just sort of hasn't got, maybe doesn't have a lot to say in terms of um, when you ask them for their input, but they probably do a bit of moaning in the background like, oh, look at this brochure, why doesn't it include X, Y or Z? Um, sorry, I'm just looking at a spider that's on my desk. I can leave it alone. Whereas obviously in Australia, you'd probably have some kind of protocol. But I know this one would kill me. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's called ringing somebody else to come sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that old chestnut. No, yeah. this one looks They're on speed dial, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it, when you're dealing with those, I mean, assuming you've had the same experience, when you're dealing with those two types of salespeople, um, I mean, do you have a preference, you know, are they good and bad in both? Would you rather just, because I've worked in organizations where marketing is centralized and you get what you're given. You have no input. Um, and I was fine with that at the time, actually. I didn't really think it was, wasn't my, wasn't my thing. So I just went with it. Oh yeah, we're getting, and they were very good at communicating. So you had, we know, we knew what the campaign was going to be. We, we knew we were going to get some samples through and some brochures or there was going to be a, a, a new bit on the website. So you knew what was coming and I was fine with that. But then when I worked elsewhere, I was very involved. So what, what's your sort of take on, on that? Yeah, I think I've probably worked with both um, types of salespeople for sure. And personally, I like the input as long as you know, it's kind of coming from a good place, you know, that they're, they're, they're enthusiastic, they're creative and they want to have some sort of input in what you're doing um i'm all for getting uh that collaborative work in um definitely and i have worked with um the kind of salespeople as well who don't really see the point in marketing it has as far as they're concerned no effect on the job that they're doing they can't see the correlation between their target that they've got to hit and the work that marketing's doing um so they get quite reserved from what you're doing um and I think it's purely because, I mean, a lot of salespeople, you know, they, they can live like day to day. So it's like, you know, they've got a target, a specific target that they need to either hit for the day, the week or the month. So they're just very focused on working on those, you know, customers that they've got, key accounts maybe, where they can kind of generate um, that, the, the income from. Um, and marketing looks at it as a more holistic view. 
um, and kind of like the overarching um, view of it. And sometimes I just think sales can't quite see it like that. And they're just like, you know, one day to the next kind of thing. Um, and also I think when like social media came along, I think quite in my experience anyway, a couple of um, salespeople were quite, didn't almost want to put themselves on the platforms um, just because they maybe didn't know what to say or why they were on it. Um, and, you know, there's this massive shift now of people networking, you know, LinkedIn is one of the most used platforms out there and it's a business platform. It's where professionals go, um, you know, have profiles and the company that I work for at the moment, you know, we've seen that there is, there's more engagement levels when the people, mainly the salespeople post themselves rather than the business. Um, and you know, people do like to see, to talk to people and actually see the faces of the business instead of it just being a bit corporate is becoming a lot more, you know, the barriers are coming down, less business, um, like B to like B to B is becoming a lot more B to C and those barriers are coming down and it's merging a lot more now. Um, and I think sometimes sales guys get maybe just a bit stuck in well no I just need to pick up the phone and call them and yeah absolutely but if you're looking for new business LinkedIn's a great place to do that to go and just make those initial connections um, and start those um, you know those discussions and then it goes more into oh well maybe you know can I send you an email have you got an email or can I give you a ring um, and it's maybe just changing that mindset slightly that there are other avenues that you can use and other platforms that you can use than maybe just the, the sort of standard things that they're used to. So there is a little bit of a shift. You know, I've I've been marketing now for like nine years and obviously this was sort of about five years ago, like I think LinkedIn was becoming a lot more used and sales were kind of seeing maybe the more of the benefit of being on there. And again, it might be just because they just have never done it themselves and they just need a bit of training. Um, and I think that is part of marketing's job is to make sales understand what we do and the tools that we use, how they can use it as well. Um, you know, so there's, I mean, Max is there to give guidance on what to say, what not to say some, you know, give examples of the type of things that they can be putting online as well. Um, you know, the larger companies and much larger companies obviously have like protocol and have um, guidelines on what kind of should and shouldn't be said from a business point of view. You know, if you are going to put where you work on your personal profile on yeah. something like LinkedIn, and there will be working for myself. I can say whatever. You can I say want. what you like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can damage my own brand one tweet. Only <laughs> got yourself to blame, Simon. <laughs> completely accountable it does amaze me still though that um i do come across salespeople who don't have a linkedin profile and i think yeah. you are literally working with one hand behind your back i mean yeah. just to make that make that initial contact get that insight into what a company's doing and i agree with you the individuals uh, what they're saying is much more of interest to me than the sort of more perception that it's a corporate message yeah you know um, look, look how great our company is well no one really wants to hear that. You've got to be very clever. And there are some very clever accounts. I mean, Aldi on Twitter are brilliant. Oh, amazing. Have you seen the recent, the, the birthday? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, they just, I think it's, and the reason that those companies stand out is because you can feel the person behind the tweet. Yeah. You know, it's not a bot you know, who's just picking up on the, on the word supermarket and then liking it for no reason. Um, you can just feel that it's a, that it's a human being. And I think that's, that's, okay. I, you saw it years ago in, in a non-digital sense, I suppose, where business start, in my opinion, started to become less formal, where more and more people started to lose the tie. And I thought yeah. that was a, quite a sort of, and, and in particular, where you'd, I'd go to places in the world where you go, oh, for example, you go to Japan. I mean, I'm a Japanophile. I, I love all things Japan, uh, Japanese, apart from whale um, hunting. And uh, I, uh, <laughs> and they, you think, oh, you've got to be very formal. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do the other. No, not, not particularly in Tokyo. No, not really. No, you haven't. Yes, there's some, there's some places where you, where you will, and you'll still see it in London City and banking yeah. sector. And stuff, but even there, and people are, are trying to become I suppose give the perception that it's all right I'm just a human just have a chat you know it's it's okay that's all we're here to do and and I think that's reflected in a lot more of the very good 
marketing, whereas it might have been seen as sort of more the sort of guerrilla marketing or the more off the wall marketing historically, where people were, you know, uh, booking a trend and being a bit more edgy. Yeah. Now, having that human touch on the flip side, obviously it's very dangerous because that person in a, um, or those people looking after a social media account are very powerful. I mean, you get it wrong. <laughs> Did you, know. you see the recent gym, pure gym? No, I didn't. I don't think so. Oh my God. Honestly, you say, you know, giving people that power to look after someone's social media. So pure gym is a, a franchise gym. So they have them all over the places in the UK. Um, and they obviously each manage their own social media. So it doesn't, I guess they have specific campaigns that they run, but it, that, that comes from the top, but then social media is run individually. And this um, guy who posted on Pure Gyms, um, so, and it went like viral, basically he'd put together a workout and it was for, um, was there, I think there's not Black Lives Matter, there was a, um, a slavery day or like a remembrance day basically. And it said something like, um, oh, if you think slavery was hard, try this workout, honestly. And the, obviously the backlash was absolutely horrendous. Um, this guy, this guy was black as well. So, you know, the, the kind of like race thing, and obviously it's so tense at the moment anyway, but he just had no, no context, no thought process at all about that. And obviously Pure Gym had to go on and set across all the platforms and say, this has not come from head office. And um, we absolutely do not agree with what was said. He has since, um, actually backed himself. He's probably done the right thing, actually. He was on like BBC um, News Radio, uh, BBC Radio 1 it was, and he was speaking himself and he said, I completely see where I've gone wrong here. I can see how this is a matter that shouldn't even be addressed in this way. And I was I was completely wrong to do that. But who's advising him, you know? So he, surely he must have had to run that through somebody and they went, what a great idea. It was really, it was really bad. But again, that's blown up and gone everywhere because he was left to his own devices. And he, from the interview, I don't know how old he was, but he did sound quite young. And right. he just had no... No uh, one's advice. Yeah. So, so I think there's a lot of people who have a lot to, to, to um, well, they have a lot to answer for. And because every time um, a bank advert comes on TV, mm -hmm. I vomit into mouth and i think that they should be responsible for that because the adverts are so physically sickening um that um you know there'll be tens of thousands of people um vomiting into their own mouths as the and the only the only adverts that are worse and i know i'm sounding like a grumpy old man now but it's uh, to my podcast so <laughs> is is um perfume adverts what the hell is going on i I mean, I, I feel like I'm watching a cheese dream when I watch a perfume advert. I'd love to be in a, I'd love to be a fly on a wall or a spider on a table um, in a perfume advertising meeting where they're coming up with their, their next Christmas advert because surely, and uh, this isn't supposed to be slanderous at all, that I imagine they must all be smoking crack because <laughs> nothing makes sense. There's just a bunch of um, sort of um, attractive people prancing around in the wind um saying words in a semi-whisper as if they're maybe, maybe an occasional balloon just flying off into the distance yeah and i don't get it well I'm, what, i mean I, I mean i've had the same bottle of aftershave for about eight years it's not something that you know my personal grooming is probably <laughs> not what it needs to be you know i'm old spice is it yeah i'm a hygiene a slasinger sport yeah i'm um i'm uh, <laughs> not hygienic, but i'm not i don't have a regime so when I uh, when I see the adverts, I think, who's looking at that balloon and thinking, I want a bit of that. I want to smell like a balloon. <laughs> but also, I do feel like they haven't, like they haven't changed. Like those yeah. adverts, John Paul Gaultier, um, you know Dior, they have been doing those adverts for the past Root. thirty years. Yeah, I, I do. Now you've said it, I, they have. Yeah. They've kept with that. They've just stuck through and they're just going to continue with it. <laughs> hey, it must be working. It must it be must working work. somewhere. <laughs> I, 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 beyond me, I'm obviously a too, too low level, but um, I just don't get it. But anyway, it, they, they must be working a bit like cars as well. But 
Next, my next question for you um, is sort of in terms of what the customers want. Um, so what these customers want this perfume. Henry Ford famously said, if we asked the customers what they want, they'd have asked us for a faster horse. Mm. Um, can the same be said when marketing teams ask sales what they want? Because I've been in meetings years ago with you and you ask, and I know that some of the answers you get back, maybe you're too polite to roll your eyes in public, <laughs> but as you go home and just circle them over and over again, thinking, oh my God, they suggested branded pens again. What, what do you... <laughs> You know, is is that fair, or can some of the best ideas for for marketing campaigns come out of the sales team? Or yeah, no, I think they can. I think they can. Or you know, it'll be an idea that's maybe said by a salesperson, and then it can be tweaked and made into. <laughs> but and then I, and then I would never take the you know I would never take the um what's the word credit. Yeah, for it. I would always give it to the salesperson, absolutely. But I think sometimes some of the, the weird and wonderful ideas are great because you just can then just tone it down slightly and say, yeah, that would actually work. Um, so, you know, sometimes, and especially with marketing, like we always have budget restraints on us to be able to do stuff. So sometimes it will come back down just because of budget, you know. Um, I know we've... Um, when we worked together, you know, going to shows and exhibitions was a large part of what we did, but we could never have the really mega stands that would look, you know, we could go crazy with the designs on those. And I think, you know, some of the ideas that the sales teams would come up with were, were amazing. And, you know, we'd be like, we could do this and we could do this. But ultimately, we could never do that because of budget. We just couldn't. So then you have to try and find maybe, yeah, alternative ways. But I'm, all, I'm always open for suggestions. And that's a great suggestion. But maybe we do this. <laughs> yeah. And if, if all else fails, there's always a branded tablecloth. <laughs> make sure it's cleaned before it goes out. Yeah, two roll-up banners and a branded <laughs> tablecloth. Oh, so much. So, okay. Um, the best. <laughs> when, when we worked together, as, as you mentioned there, I mean, I was a big advocate of joint visits with sales and marketing people. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of joint visits. Um, do you learn stuff from... Um, from your sales colleagues and do you think the same is said the other way and, and do you think there's a benefit to the customer? 100% yeah well I certainly learned stuff from the sales guys especially when I was new to the business um, and I got sent away with one of the more experienced sales team members. Um, I came back from that trip knowing 10 times more than I did than when I went. Um, you know by the the first day I, I can talk to people no problem but asking me about the products, I was a bit more like, oh, I'm not too sure if I know what this does yet. However, after the first day of listening to my colleagues speak to customers, I could reel it off the next day. You know, I, I, you just, I'm much more of like a visual learner, like listening. And if I hear somebody else say it, I'm a bit like a parrot. I'll be able to repeat that. I might not fully understand exactly what it was, but I could hold my own and have a conversation. So definitely, totally agree. And I think the reason why it's, good to have sales and marketing there is because you are there for different purposes really when you look at it marketing is there to talk to the customers to understand their challenges um, to understand potentially what there could be in the future maybe for product development or new avenues to look at or um, you know anything that the customer wants to give you as feedback that's what marketing are there for. Um, it kind of like touches on business development and things like that as well. And I think, you know, sales are there to get the relationship going, to really talk about the products in depth, how those products are going to be used for the customer. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I'll seal the deal. Um, so, yeah, I do think that it's, it's a great way of having two different looks at it, really, and getting two different um, outcomes from, from a show, from an exhibition. Have you ever, I'm not going to ask for any names, but have you ever been in a meeting where what's being said has made you sort of, you've been cringing or you've had to rescue the salesperson or you feel that it's been going, not been going maybe the way that you both intended when you were in the, in the cab on the way to the meeting? Because I'll give you an example from, 
I once went, and I'm not going to name names, but you know who this is, I think. Um, I went to a meeting where the prime objective was a consolidation of distributors. So we were going from um, a, a quite a large list of sales channels down to some master channels, essentially. And some, some was easy and some were a little bit more difficult in terms of essentially we were having to route them through what they may perceive as their competitor in terms of buying from them. And the, the sole aim of the uh, meeting was to do that. And that was the re reason we went. And then randomly, a senior person to me in the meeting decided without any warning, not even a tap of the leg or anything. There was no, there was no squawk no of a seagull signal, no wink, no owl hoot, nothing, decided to say the following sentence to a lady um, buyer, uh, and it's so partridge, let's forget about all this, let's continue to, to trade with each other in the blokey way we always have. <gasps> now, I shrank um, to the size of a borrower in my head and wanted to, you know, just awful. And then the the, the, bar, the, the, the the procurement person um, said, and I was thinking, what's she going to say? Said, I find that very offensive. And, right. and then just groveled around. And I don't think I spoke for about 12 hours after that. It was just horrendous. But I don't know if you've ever been in anything as bad as that. But have you ever been in a meeting where it's been going a bit wrong and you've had to bail out the salesperson or have you only worked with um professionals, professionals? <laughs> um no <laughs> but i can't think of anything that's like really stood out um i've had to do a bit of filling before where potentially something's not gone quite right with a product that was was working in demo when we tried it and then you get it in there and you're like mm, it shouldn't be doing that why is it making that noise or why is that not light not flashing why is it not coming on? So I've had to do a bit of filling. Oh, how was yeah. your day? Oh, really? What did you have for lunch? You know, that <laughs> Just a bit distraction techniques, maybe. There you go. But I've never, um, not that I can remember, I like, haven't actually like saved someone from a horrendous blunder like that. That just sounds excruciating. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, th I think the thing, my, maybe it's subconscious in my example, I made no effort to rescue it. Because basically, you might as well have slapped her in the face with a wet fish. Um, so, you know, uh, so. Also, you don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to be sort of sidled with that. So it's just best to leave alone. No, I don't even know him. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm actually a hostage. So uh, um, sales is often described as the lifeblood of a business by salespeople. Um, yeah. But many of the most successful companies are truly marketing led so apple is always used as an, as, as an example do you do you think that as a shift in the way that people are looking at whereas whereas people literally list sales and marketing you, you actually hear people say marketing and sales more and more now i i do i've heard it anyway do you feel that there's a shift or does it is it industry specific or what, yeah i do i do feel like there's a shift i don't know whether it is maybe industry specific but I think yeah you're right Martin was always seen like we've said before as a bit of a um like an internal function where you would kind of do work for all departments whereas obviously the likes of Apple you have marketing actually driving the business I think it's more um it's integral to have a marketing-led business if you're looking to obviously develop your business whether that's into new like product diversification or new market areas um not saying that there's no input from the likes of um, the design team or sales as well, because I do think that they will have elements. But if you really want to put yourself out there in a brand new market, you're going to need that that market intelligence to know where to know where you're going really. So I think growth-wise and development, yeah, it needs to a lot more focus on on the kind of marketing aspect, yeah. Quite a hot topic that I see discussed, not necessarily on podcasts, but maybe in the pub when that was going to the pub was a thing. Um, from a personal perspective, how do you feel about targeted marketing? Is it uh, the beginning of sort of 1984 Big Brother or is it, I mean, I don't think there's any stopping it, but what's, what's, what's your feeling on it in terms of from a personal perspective and also from a professional perspective? Yeah, I think that's right. You know, there is no stopping it. So I feel like we've come to just, um, it's like the norm now, isn't it? We've all just come to kind of 
um, not necessarily embrace it, I suppose, but it's just kind of one of those things that's there. From a professional point of view, um, I do see the value in it. Um, we've just sort of started a campaign now, which we've started to see some um, results from, which is great and really really chuffed with that and it's just like google advertising really so it's a bit of targeted um advertising and we're kind of just dipping our foot in as well of retargeting advertising as well which i don't know if it'll work for our uh, particular market but we, we can certainly give it a go um yeah it is it is scary when you've not even maybe searched for something on your phone and then you're getting adverts for it on your social media and you're like i haven't actually searched for this in a search engine how does this know? And it, and it is listening to you. I fully, yeah. fully know that. I'm, as long as it's done in the right way and, and, you know, companies are open about your data and we don't have the whole fiasco with Facebook and that we had, you know, last year or the year before, whenever it was, where, you know, it's a total violation of people's data um, completely being used in the wrong way, then... I, th I think it's fine. You know, you just, you do come to accept that those first three search terms that come up are adverts. And if you want to click on them, fine. If you don't, you know, you just go to the organic searches that have come below. Um, so yeah, it is, it, I guess it's not weird now because it's so, you're so used to seeing them. Do I agree with it? I don't know whether it's because I'm, I'm conscious and I know that they're adverts and therefore it's more for the people who obviously subconsciously just click through and yeah, it's, it is a difficult one and it's, but it's not going anywhere. That's the thing we've got to, got to remember. I think my, I, I'm sort of similar to you. I think that it can be very beneficial. The only, the main, the main concern I have with it isn't so much that I'm being watched because I'm not doing, I'm not doing much that I shouldn't be doing. So I'm not, not too worried about Same. that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, if the odd advert comes up for naked dwarves, then it's my own fault. <laughs> That's just what you've been looking for, so exactly. Yes, yeah, so it saves me, saves me having to search for it. And uh, that will come up now on your phone. You know, I know you said that. And yours, naked dwarves. Naked dwarves. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> I think the the problem the, the problem I have with it a little bit is more. I suppose it's more a broader societal thing where w the echo chamber issue, where you know, if um, if I want, if if I'm not talking about fully clothed dwarves, and I don't know whether I'm being politically incorrect here, I'm trying to be funny. So, if you're easily offended, you you know I apologise, but you know that's that's your issue. Um, that uh, I I won't get advertised the opposite of what I'm talking about. Whereas mm -hmm. actually, like you said earlier, some of the best ideas come from you know come some far down the line, some way down the line in a brainstorming session. So. I'm concerned that you end up in this sort of echo chamber and this mini, you have this mini reality, you know, we've, I think you've watched The Social Dilemma, have you? And, 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 yes, uh, on Netflix, yes, yeah. You know, and that's, that's um, awakened some people to the power of these platforms. And, and, and it is the fact that they're not necessarily using this data for evil, but it's, it's not for your own benefit, it's for no. theirs. So if they, think, if they can send you an advert that they know you're more likely to like, then there's more likelihood that they're going to get a click on it and they're going to get paid. So it's not necessarily going to challenge your reality in any way to, to consider other things. And then when you, and they're using that same technology for the likes of uh, influencing politics, which, you know, I know that's a completely different podcast probably, but the, the, that the power of it is what, I think that's it and I think what you've just alluded to there with the whole you know fake news or influencing like politics side of things that's the scary thing and that's what I meant about using data for not the right reasons um and it's just how people how how on earth are we ever going to police something like that I, I don't know I don't know if it can be done um but yeah there is a darker side to it absolutely mm. well we're not going to end there because that's quite, quite <laughs> So I'll bring it up again. Okay. <laughs> is it the um, saddest day? Is it the saddest day on this podcast, Simon? Yeah, it is. I don't know how we're measuring it, but it is, yeah. <laughs> um, so you've worked in marketing roles in the UK and Australia, but you've travelled around most parts of the world. Yeah. In your time in Australia, and I know that when we were speaking previous to this podcast, I, I noticed you started to use a few 
um, shortened versions of words. So when we were discussing occupational health people, you called you referred to them as Ockies um, or Occy Health, which to me is a sort of yeah. healthy when playing darts in the UK. <laughs> so other than other than the Australians um, wanting to make shorter versions of words just because it's part of what they do. What what else have you come across that's different from the uh, yeah. from the love it so your laptop is your lappy the ambulance crew are the ambos obviously fireies for your fire brigades your fireies it the list is endless yeah you just literally shorten which is very very music hey I tell you what you know like gummy sweets sweets mm-hmm. sweets or haribo that type of thing they yeah. call them lollies well i think we can both agree that essentially on that case they're basically wrong well this is uh, I, was, I was like no like a lolly it like has a stick like it's a, that, yeah. a lolly you know like a chubba chub lolly no no yeah. like a full-on sign in the supermarket where the jelly sweets are they're called lollies anyway it was bizarre but yeah that's what they call them i don't know why um but apart from that <laughs> um Aussies are very uh straight talking they're very to the point um, a lot of the advertisements here actually remind me a lot of American TV. So they're just quite brash, straight to the point, and they love a jingle. One that like really sticks in your head as well, and really annoying jingles. Um, it's, it is quite amusing. And they're not afraid to either swear or like insinuating that they're going to swear. So, right. Yeah. So there's um, like a camping, uh, I think it's camping stuff that they do here. And they're called BCF, but the catchphrase for it is it's BCFing fun. Close to the boat. And it's yeah. quite it's quite a well-known, like, and everyone sort of says it, but even on the radio and stuff, they profanities like just sort of used in like everyday speech, I guess. It's it's quite bizarre. But yeah, they're quite um like they're very straight talking. Um and I think but just from remember doing bits of marketing as well for the American team uh, where we used to work, it was very different to the way that you would write for a UK or Europe style. So, mm-hmm. you know, you could cap up um, words that you wanted people to cap- capitals. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting used to it, Anna. <laughs> um, things that you wanted um, the American audience to be drawn to, you know, new uh, offer, discount in an email, and that wouldn't look weird. In fact, they they preferred it like that, you know, short, sharp sentences, cap up and bold to the words that you want people to notice, send mm. it out. Whereas if, a, if we'd maybe seen it, we'd be like, oh my God, why is this person shouting at me? And why are they not yeah. properly form sentences? You know, it's, it's very, it's different. Um, and I use a lot of words and I've sometimes got to really rein that in because again, sort of Australia, Australia is like a kind of mid ground, I would say, where you can kind of have information there, but it still needs to be kind of stripped back a little bit and use less words than I like to use because I just love stuffing words in there. Um, so yeah, I have seen that definitely. And yeah, as I say, it's quite uh, in your face kind of marketing. I, t- I tell you a company that does it really well over here. Um, a company called Messina, they do ice cream or gelato. It must be the, the way that they, however, make it, but they, it's gelato. And okay. on social media, they're very good. They um, they use a lot of humor, like we were saying about the personal stuff with the Aldi, they're quite like Aldi, and they'll engage with their audience a lot. And, you know, I think they've got about 200,000 followers, so it's not like massive, massive, but they and then they repost stuff that people have said about them, even if it's like not good, they'll like repost it and they'll oh, say, oh, so, so, but then but well, they won't be like, oh, I'm so sorry, it'll more like, oh, well, don't come back kind of thing. <laughs> they're, they're honestly, they're, they're, they're very good, and that's how they, they use a lot of humor in theirs. And you know, it's a person replying, like you, you know, and they have obviously either if they've got two or three people that I don't know, they might have one person doing it, but they all have that. You, you wouldn't know it's seamless the way that they kind of do their stuff, but um, yeah, they're, they're, they're really good. I got my first troll. Um, a couple of weeks ago which was um, a bit of a badge of honor so I decided to to own it with humor as well so they were I was advertised well I was promoting something on a channel and they they said uh, well if you're that good why do you need to be promoting it on here and I just said shall I put you down for two and what (laughs) what what happened was the that his 
um, peers, because it was like um, an industry group, his peers liked my reply and I got quite a few replies to it. And then he must have felt compelled to reply to sort of go, sort of like laugh it off a bit like when you trip over, but you don't quite fall. And then you sort of do a little run and laugh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah. So I, personally, I, I, my, my take on the trolling element is to either ignore or own it with humor and I thought yeah I, I like the fact that they're doing that I think because there's there's a lot of stressed people who you know to be to be angry about ice cream I think there's a, there's a deeper issue isn't there with those people that you know they they need a little bit of help and love maybe a little cuddle that's it and they totally approach it like that is like yeah in fact in fact I think one of them what someone said oh well next time you come on we'll give you a big hug or something like that it was that you know you said that they did say something like that but I just, yeah I think done well and done in good humour, yeah. you know, then it's it's all good. Yeah, definitely. Start a pitch battle online. No one wins. It always ends up with someone calling someone else Hitler. <laughs> I think if you if you go so far down a, a YouTube rant when people are arguing about a YouTube video, which is every YouTube video, yeah. if, you, if you wait long enough, it ends up at the word Nazi or Hitler at some point. I think that's pretty much... Yeah, uh, is that a thing? <laughs> It, it, I don't think it's a scientific thing, but if you wait long enough, eventually people run out of ammunition and just oh, throw left. Left. Yeah. <laughs> take it to base level. But, um, so moving on from Nazis, um, have you uh, have you ever <laughs> picked have you picked things up from sales colleagues that you that you now adopt in your work, and do you think maybe you've given things to? Um, to, to, to colleagues that maybe they might now use perhaps from joint visits or working closely or whatever it might be yeah there's a couple of things that I've um, picked up and kept from my like sales team uh, one of them was yourself Simon uh, a very very yeah. handy tip and honestly snip it oh my lord what joy that brings me of a daily basis it's brilliant you, you see something on the screen you want someone to see it don't send them a link snip it up send it off to them. Honestly, you showed me that. And I, st I literally use it nearly every day. So thanks for that. <laughs> welcome. When I, well, I now use my wife's um, MacBook and it doesn't have Snippet. Oh, and I thought someone would cut one of my fingers off. But it's, and someone will correct me, no doubt on this. I think it's Command, Shift and 4. And oh. you can snip it on, it on an app. So if you do go towards Apple, don't panic. There yeah. is still a version. You've just got to find the short key for it, right? Okay, yeah. Um, and I think the other one is... Uh, another colleague is to always ask questions always just keep asking the questions as in if you don't understand something or you don't quite get where they're coming from or you just need more information just keep asking questions no question is a silly question and especially if you don't quite understand something just just keep going just keep asking mm -hmm. them. and don't be afraid to ask questions either you know especially you know even if it's in front of in front of people you've got to understand either what the product is if you're having you know difficulty understanding exactly what it is or it could be as blatant as well how are you going to use this how would you use it you know just yeah just don't be don't be afraid to ask questions and I have no idea whether anyone's learned anything off me to be honest <laughs> you know I like to think I might have <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yeah I don't know it's difficult isn't it I have no idea. Well, you've got you've got a chance now then because this is the the last bit of the podcast, so you can guarantee that someone's going to learn something. Um, I like to finish the podcast, and I really appreciate your time. Um, it, you know, it's really you know it's been really insightful. I think, and there's probably room for another episode some sometime in the in the future if you yeah, if sure. you're open to it. Um, I like to finish with a tip. Now, it's usually a sales tip, but obviously you coming from a marketing perspective, I think that's perfectly acceptable as well. But if you've got one that maybe covers both, then perfect. But if you could give one tip that people could could take away, um, what would it be? Yeah, I think, and it kind of does, I guess, resonate over sales and maybe marketing um, jointly, is just, is kind of your approach to stuff. Be flexible be open to change um, and yeah, like adaptable as well. I know it's a bit of a cliche in the kind of times that we're in at the moment, but you know, if someone comes up with an idea, don't dismiss it straight away, you know, have a think about it. It could actually work. Or if marketing have come to sales and maybe has asked for a bit of help, 
think about how actually you could work together and how it could how it could come up with a with a you know a joint venture or um, a good outcome so yeah I know it's not succinct, but... <laughs> no, no, well, but yeah, be, it's, it's simply saying be open-minded and adaptable in your approach. That's what I've written down, and uh, I, I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. No problem at all. It's been good. It's been fun. Thanks, Val. Cheers, Simon. Thanks.